Welcome to the All About Drones podcast brought to you by American Drone Services. We are here to answer your questions, give you advice, and go over some different things in the drone industry. If you have any questions, please go to AmericanDS21.com, contact us, and drop your questions in there, stating podcast questions to be featured on the podcast. Thank you for listening. We are American Drone Services. Welcome back, everyone, to the Drone Life Podcast by American Drone Services. I'm Blake. I'm Anthony. And last episode, we talked about all the different topics we are going to be covering throughout this show. So today's show, we are going to talk about the registration of your drone and safe practices. Uh, several people are getting drones for Christmases, birthdays, and just going out to buy one just to have it. And this is definitely a great thing. However... There are a few things you need to do before taking the drone out for its first flight. And this is actually really important, Anthony, because I actually had no idea about this when I got my first drone. My uncle got me one. Uh, well, it was actually my brother's. I take that. Mm -hmm. He got my brother a drone um, for Christmas. My brother never actually used it. And about a year later, and this kind of fits in with the backstory of how I started the business, but about a year later... Um, my buddy and I, uh, we were into airsoft and stuff. And so we found it and took it out because we wanted to use it for that or use one for that. And so we took it out. We actually practiced in the room for a little bit after diving over chairs and, and <laughs> everything because, you know, we didn't know how to fly it. We actually took it outside. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I was about to say, you flew that inside? That's that's yeah. how you... that. Uh, uh, continue, continue. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't even a really small one. It was. It was a really cheap plastic one, but it was about the size of my Phantom. Okay. Yeah, okay. It, it was definitely not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we eventually took it outside, and while we were outside, we put it up in the air, and we flew that for like two weeks, trying to you know once we got pretty much confident with it. After that, we went to, we we actually, I don't remember where, but we bought another one that was fairly cheap. It was only like two, three hundred. Um, we bought that one specifically to use for Airsoft. And, okay. and we flew that one in in our neighborhood up and down the uh, the road there and around the house. And it, our house is in a military town, so there's bases everywhere. Lovely. So, <laughs> yeah, so once we started doing research on, you know, if there are drone laws, and we're like, there are drone laws. <laughs> so that's when we started really digging in, and we found, you know, you got to register your drone. Um, you ever have any, uh, this is a side, side note, you ever had any, had any run-ins with animals like hawks or anything like that? Because I feel like, I, I remember I had a, uh, I had, it, it wasn't a drone, but it was one of those stupid little things that you put uh, a battery in like a little fake gun and then you shot it, you shot uh, what was a flapping duck and the duck flew and then it would glide when you hit it with a, like um, whatever infrared beam or whatever. It was, it was really interesting. But a couple times after uh, throwing it up for a while and I, I lived on the edges of a suburb. So like, it, it was pretty much uh, uh, flat farmland at that point. But, like, hawks started circling it, and I went, mm, I'm going inside. My mom goes, oh, you're not having fun anymore? And I'm like, I was. But uh, I also didn't want to end up with uh, 
four inch gouges in my arm. Yeah, no, our drone, um, it happens all the time, just about every flight, especially out here in the countryside. And, mm. um, you know, eagles, hawks, I mean, just birds in general, you know, they, you got some that are more aggressive than others. And those yeah. are the yeah, ones yeah. that you really got to watch out for. Um, I've actually had to land due to geese chasing it. And that was, <laughs> that was not fun because they chased it all the way down. Um, geese are vicious. Yeah, they really are. Um, but like, you know, with their whole registration thing, mm-hmm. um, you actually don't have to register a drone that is under, I think it's like half a pound. Um, okay. So like, the cheap ones, sub 50 bucks or those cra- crappy well, ones you get at the, just off of the storefront, right? Yes and no. So actually DJI has a, uh, a mini two, um, and then they actually have the Mini 3 that just came out. Mm-hmm. And I do believe the Mini 3 is still one of those drones that you don't have to have registered. Hmm. Um, now, if you're going to use it in furtherance of a business or anything like that, you still have to have your FAA license and you still need to have your trust certification. And actually, about the trust, I got uh, my buddy Thomas on uh, the phone and he's the one I was telling you all last show that has his trust certification and is working towards his 107. And like I said, uh, last show, I actually never took the trust. It came out after I got my 107. And I'm pretty sure if there was a trust beforehand, I definitely didn't do that either. So (laughs) we're trying to help you guys learn and do things the right way and, uh, do what you're supposed to do before you, uh, before you go out for your flight and make sure that you you are following these FA laws and regulations. Um, so without further ado, uh, Thomas, uh, tell us a little bit about the trust certification. Uh, well, the trust certification is really mostly common sense. The biggest thing that they want you to know is the difference between what they consider a recreational flyer and what they consider a commercial flight. Uh, the biggest thing about that is you can't take any kind of money. You can't sell any of the video or photos that you take. You're purely flying for your entertainment. If you do any kind of sales or any kind of monetary transaction, now you've just crossed into the line of commercial and they do get pretty big about that. Outside of that, the trust certificate teaches you how to register your drone because if your drone weighs more than a little over half a pound, it has to be registered with the FAA. And that's most drones that you're going to run into on the market. It's going to tell you how to get information about airspaces of where you can and can't fly. There's multiple different apps out there, but you got to know to be able to check if you can fly in your area or not, because if you go up in a restricted no fly zone, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So with that being said, I mean, you know, the FAA is actually starting to crack down on uh, real estate agents. Uh, from what I was understanding and reading, real estate agents that are hiring non-Part 107 certified remote pilots are actually being charged with an $11,000 fine now. Um, so, you know, the whole in furtherance of a business, you definitely need that 107. And, you know, some people you know, don't understand the difference between the, um, the recreational flying and the doing 
or in furtherance of a business. It's not necessarily even doing business. It's you own a business, you throw a drone up in the air, take a picture, put it on your business website. That's still commercial, right? Um, as long as it's in the furtherance of any kind of business, whether it be your own or another person's or Joe Schmo down the street. Yeah. And so with that being said, I mean, the trust is definitely the way to go for just starting out, especially for learning. And, you know, if you just want to do something yourself, um, do you, what were you going to say, Anthony? I, I was so, so as we know, I don't, I do not know anything. What is trust? It, it, it trust with a, with a T, correct? Yes. Is that an acronym? What does it, what, what is it exactly? Where they kind of slam no, a bunch of stuff it. together. Stands for the Recreational UAS Safety Test. Thomas, since I didn't have to take it, um, I, I don't really know too, too much about it. Uh, but could you tell us, did you have to pay anything for it? No, absolutely. It's 100% free and registering your drone only costs $5 with the FAA. So there's really no reason whatsoever that the drone should not be registered and you should not have your trust. I mean, that no, that's yeah, what I'm understanding. Absolutely no you know, and it, it covers a wide range of topics. I mean, most people that buy a drone don't know that you can't fly over 400 feet. It's covered. Um, and that's whether in controlled or uncontrolled airspace. And so, they go into the difference between what that is in trust. So I know with your part 107, um, you're still restricted to that 400 AGL. However, we're able to go 400 above the tallest building within a 400-foot radius of that building. How is that for recreational? All in all, it's pretty much the same. Um, from taking my trust and studying for the 107, the information doesn't actually vary very much. But as a guideline that they present to the recreational flyers, they just tell you try not to go 400 feet AGL period. You, They do explain that you know, if there's an obstacle, you can go 400 foot above the obstacle. But at the end of the day, the rule of thumb is just don't go over 400. So, so pretty much just keep that 400 at a safety net as long as your airspace clearance is good, right? Right. And I mean, I'm flying recreationally. I've never run into a situation where I've gone more than 200 feet. I've gone at highest 350 feet, and that was just because I wanted to. Yeah, I mean, there there's very few jobs that um, I have done that I've been, you know, at 400 feet. I mean, the uh, last one I did where I was extremely high was a mapping job on the side of a mountain, but it stayed within that 400 AGL. It was, I was taking pictures at like 330 feet for this mapping for the uh, amount of acres. And I mean, the rise in elevation was almost 1,200 feet, but keeping that you know, that cushion, I mean, that that's just, you know, other than that, doing stuff like that, I really don't see a reason um, other than just to do it. Now, there could be if, like, you're going out and doing photography and you want that, that depth of height um, and altitude within your pictures. But overall, I mean, you know, you can get the same 
within that 400 foot radius. So, I mean, there's really no, you know, some people are like, oh, I want to see how high your drone can go. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it can go up 400 feet. That's about as high as they can go, <laughs> you know, so. Well, the nice thing about taking the trust and registering your drone as well is I have two cards. I have my trust certification. It's a hard card. And I have my FAA drone registration card, and I keep them in a sleeve on, like, a, a neck lanyard that I keep whenever I fly. I keep it on me. So if anybody comes up to me, whether it be law enforcement or just somebody in general, and they just come, I kind of want to see what's up. I can show them, one, that I have, and it, and it has the FAA logo on it, that I have my FAA drone registration. And on the other side, I have my trust certification test facing outward that also states that I have complied with federal regulations. Yeah, no, that's, that's really important to keep your, uh, your card and your information and, and all your paperwork on you. Um, I was out doing a, I don't really want to say real estate shot, but it was a real estate shot and it was of a warehouse. Uh, the airspace was wide open. It was uncontrolled airspace. However, it was like two blocks away from restricted airspace. It was um, military airspace about two blocks away. And, I mean, you could see the base. Once I put the drone in the air, you could see it. And, like, that's how close we were. But the uh, military police actually showed up on site within a matter of, like, five minutes of the drone being in the air. And... They were just like, you know, what are you doing? Uh, I need to see all your paperwork. We need to see the footage, make sure you're not taking pictures of the drone. And, you know, that was the biggest thing is making sure that you have all your paperwork. Because once I showed him all the paperwork and what I was doing and, you know, here's the job description of what I am working on currently, uh, they really, they were really cool about it. They were like, oh man, these are great pictures, great footage, you know, and they've actually had drone work done on base. Um, another company was able to get those permissions to fly on base. Um, I would assume actually from the video that we were, that we saw, they got the permission uh, to fly on base and do that. So that's pretty cool. But, you know, having your paperwork on you, having your, uh, regardless if it's your trust card or your FA Part 107 card, I mean, it's like having a driver's license on you. You know, you get pulled over, you don't have your driver's license, it's bad. You get stopped or, you know, questioned by authorities and you don't have your 107. Um, I've never had a situation where I haven't. Um, so I don't know how bad it would be, but I would imagine it would be really bad. And especially with the FA cracking down, and we'll go over some more stuff uh, later on in the show about, you know, some accidents and some different incidents that happened. And one of the biggest ones was um, out in Cincinnati. Uh, Thomas, you remember this? I, I believe I showed you that video where the pilot flew his drone into the football stadium during a football game, brought it down to goalpost level. And flew it around. And people are waving at it and stuff. But, you know, that that is breaking so many FAA regulations and putting so many people at danger because there's no possible way he was within line of sight of that drone. Oh, yeah. And that's, I was actually about to bring that up. One of the biggest 
biggest things that I see in actually physically talking to people. A lot of people ask me why I have an, a neon orange skin on my drone. And for obviously y'all don't know, but I have a DJI Mini 2. It's a very small drone. Legally, I don't even have to register it with the FAA, but I did anyway because I wanted that extra card to have on me in case I was asked about anything. And in the event of if I lose the drone or the drone flies away, that registration number comes back to my name and address. So I can get my drone back if it takes off away from me. But going back to the orange skin, I have the orange skin on it because it actually allows me to identify my drone quicker and easier in the sky to maintain that line of sight restriction. And and people go, well, you don't have to, you, you, it's on your controller. You can see it on your controller. No, no, legally you drone cannot leave your line of sight. You have to be able in a matter of seconds to be able to tell authorities where your drone is and what direction it's facing. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a huge one. Um, you know, when we do our big projects, uh, we did, um, the Herbrooks poultry ranch again, uh, earlier this month. And, you know, I have radios that I bring out. So that way, you know, a visual observer and having a visual observer, it really doesn't matter who it is as long as you explain to them what their duty is and, you know, go over a safety protocol and all this. Um, but that way I'm in constant contact with my safe, with my, uh, visual observer simply because it's such a huge property. And so what I do is I send them to the other side of the property and, you know, and I'm on pretty much in the middle. Um, that way I can get a good view of a majority of the property. And once it, once the drone is in the air, I'll radio them and be like, you know, hey, do you have sight of it? Not yet. Okay. You know, and it's still within my line of sight. But the minute I start going towards that direction where they're at, um, before I lose sight of the drone, I'm radioing them and making sure that um, making sure that they have visual of the drone. And that way they can tell me, hey, something's coming. Um, you know, something's coming. There's, uh, you know, for some reason, a plane or a helicopter or, you know, hey, you're getting really close to the side of this building, you know, they can radio me right away and tell me left, right, and then I can bring the drone back to my uh, line of sight. So legally, legally speaking, are their eyes your eyes, if that makes sense? Yes and no. Yeah, okay. So having the visual observer allows you to focus more on the camera operations and extend your line of sight. So, yes, they're your eyes, but at the same time... They're unofficially your eyes. Exactly. Okay. Legally speaking, like if you had a guy on a radio, let's say uh, uh, that football game thing, where uh, you fly into the stadium and you have a guy on a you know walkie-talkie and goes, oh, I know where you are, blah, 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 blah. That's not line of sight because even though one person can see it, since he cannot you know access it because well, he doesn't have uh, a controller. So in that, in that situation, that actually would have been okay. <laughs> and that would have been one instance of, or that would have been one less offense that he broke out of like 10 
Um, yeah. But yeah, no. So that situation would be, um, from my understanding, would be okay. Believe it or not, public safety officials, law enforcement, uh, search and rescue, all them, you know, they'll do that with the drones that are, that they're using when they deploy them. And, and if there's boots on the ground, for the most part, they will become the uh, the visual observer. And so you'll have multiple visual observers. Mm-hmm. So my next question is, what about somebody, let's say uh, you're going down a mountain or something and you're going in a canyon and you lose sight of it. I, I, I'm just fascinated by the, the line of sight thing. Like how does how does that work? Um, if you not necessarily momentarily lose sight of it, but say uh, it goes down a canyon and you're zooming through a, a canyon, and, for, and this is all not um, th- this is all professional drone work. This is not um, you know just you having fun. How does that work, Thomas? You want to give this one a shot real quick. The, the problem is with the drone industry being so new is the legalities are broad and strict at the same time. Yeah, it, so, it seems like it's there and then it's not there and there's so many loopholes. Right. So legally, as long as I'm in constant contact with somebody who has eyes on the drone, I can theoretically operate that drone from anywhere. That's the broad part of it. But then they get into the strict part of it of they don't want you more than a certain distance from the actual uh, operation station mm-hmm. to the drone. So, so if you're a mile away, but you have somebody still, you know, I a mile, it wouldn't work uh, with the technology as far as I know. But... Um, if it's a mile away and uh, you have somebody watching it, um, you know, that's not okay because you're just so far away from the drone, correct? I don't know this. I don't remember the specific number, um, but there is a aeronautical mile difference, like restriction of where your operation station can be to where your drone is. Because at a certain point, even with a visual observer, you get into what's be, uh, called BLOS, which is beyond line of sight. Yeah, I mean, you know, when it when it comes to your visual observer and when it comes to the FAA regulations, I mean, there's really, you know, it's still being very new. It's still being revised and, and looked over and... And technology is changing by the day alone, not just, um, you know, not not just the regulation and then the people doing it. Uh, the technology is changing, you know, month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and it's that's why you run into such a difference in enforcement. You know, you'll get, you know, I could have a run in with the state troopers and they don't have a problem with what I'm doing. Um, like for example, I can't legally fly in a Texas state park. It's not allowed per Texas law, but I can fly over anything according to the federal government. (laughs) 
I mean, what, is there a technical airspace limit for a Texas park? Is it like after X, uh, you know, after X, uh, then that's where the, the park extends, like uh, international borders or water borders, like um, uh, like a 50-mile radius sort of thing for, for water borders? Uh, so how does that work? from what I understand is, the way that they've been enforced don't own the airspace the federal government does. So, and that goes for everywhere, your home, your business, you don't own the airspace. So technically, technically you might be able to sue and say that law of flying in, uh, or not flying rather in, uh, Texas state parks is unconstitutional. So the way that they go with (laughs) that is, and, and Thomas, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's not necessarily flying in the state parks. It's um, if, if that airspace is Launching. open, yeah, it's operation and takeoff and landing of the aircraft because these are classified un- under aircraft. Huh. So you yes. could be like outside of it and fly around as long as you are within, you know, visual line of sight. Right. Now, the one that is interesting that I find interesting about Texas is, um, you know, we have nature preserves out here. That law specifically says unmanned aerial systems are not to be flown over or around those types of areas. Now, I don't know how enforceable it is. Is that a state or is that a federal property? Because we have, like, Uh, national... National parks here well, that state are all game lands, well, stuff like that. Not even that. A lot of it's you know the national parks um, around here, and those, from what my understanding is, are not uh, flyable airspace. As far as I know, yeah, they're not flyable airspace. Yeah, so you know, it, it's just a matter of my biggest thing, especially with how new it is is if you want to go out and say you want to fly in a state park, you know, you want to get, there's a lake or a river or something, and you want to get some good footage, especially, you know, especially if, you know, you're planning on doing this and it's not like a spur-of-the-moment thing. My, my biggest thing is contact the, uh, you know, the state park officials. Contact them and just let them know what you're doing. Let them know, you know. I definitely would not contact them and be like, hey, I have my FAA trust certification. But you could definitely contact them and be like, you know, hey, I'm an FAA Part 107 pilot. I am calling to, you know, get permission or or a heads up, you know, and just wanted to clear this. Uh, this is what the FAA law states. If your state laws are there, you can definitely bring in your state law. Like I know here in Pennsylvania, our state law prohibits, it prohibits the uh, municipalities to actually man, like create their own laws regarding drones. Um, now we can't, you know, obviously fly over the national parks and stuff like that. And there's a few, uh, I believe it's state parks that are, that you can't take off and land from, um, you know, it's places I hardly ever, I really hardly ever go to a state park or a national park. Well, um, especially commercially, why would you need to? 
I mean, if you're doing like a video or a wedding video or yeah. something, you know, um, but a lot of the stuff we do is in town, um, or I'm mapping farmland and or the side of a mountain, that, yeah. you know, <laughs> that was, oh my gosh, that was insane, you know, but definitely contact your local municipalities or, you know, the, the state, state park associations, something like that. Make sure that you have all of your information that you are able to give them and figure it out from there. I mean, that's, that's pretty much what I would have to say about, you know, because of how new everything is, because you do have those pilots out there that are just out there to cause havoc. I mean, (laughs) you know, they, they just want to go out there and fly and they don't know any better or know the rules or they put people in, in risk. And I mean, there, I I mean, there was the time when we went out, uh, uh, at that, that rally and, there were drones all over the oh place, my and they were gosh. flying like idiots. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, they were. And I know nothing about drones, and I go, "This is this is how people die." That was insane. Um, so we did. Uh, there's a, there's a video on our web on our uh, Facebook website and on our YouTube channel. But so we did a video for the People's Convoy. Um, they went down to the Hagerstown, Maryland Speedway. Uh. They were there for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. Do you do you hear they got kicked out oh, recently? No, I, I didn't hear about that. They got kicked out because uh, um, there were fights getting broken up, and they weren't throwing away their trash. Oh man, <laughs> they were such a good group of people. They, they originally, were. They gen- genuinely, you were. know. Um, Just, yeah, but you know those pilots, man. I I put the drone in the air to to do uh, get some live footage, and I have the drone hovering right over the entrance, getting video footage of the truckers coming in. And, you know, you get a notification aircraft in the area. So we start looking around and we see a news helicopter and it looked like a personal helicopter coming in, coming close to the area. So I was like, all right, well, we're going to go ahead and land this and we'll just get some ground footage. And on the way in, you see a whole bunch of these FPV drones and and uh, look like Mavic Minis and stuff just racing towards the helicopters and the helicopters are coming in They're They're probably two, 300 feet and they start chasing the helicopter and like doing orbits around the helicopters. And I'm like, <laughs> what are y'all doing? You know, like I, yeah, I, I didn't know that's where any of the dumb pilots, to you that's dumb to them. That's dumb to everybody. You know? Yeah. That puts so many people at risk. I mean, you know, it, it's just one of those, like why, why you know and and people like that are the reason why there are so many conflicting rules because you know you would think it's common sense don't fly your drone racing towards a helicopter in the air (laughs) don't orbit a helicopter i mean you drive a go-kart going towards a uh going towards a a big monster truck that that's not how that works you (laughs) know And, and something happens i mean You've heard of flyaways and stuff, but something happens with the drone that malfunctions and hits that helicopter. Your three, four, five, six, seven hundred dollar drone just killed three people, or just destroyed a million dollar helicopter, and potentially killed people. And it's just it's ridiculous. And well, that's and the not stuff even that people in the helicopter, but people on the ground too. Yeah, exactly. And and that's the stuff that irks me to death yeah. because 
you know, you practice, you, you know, you talk about what you need to do to better, um, to better the industry. And then you go out and you see these people that just have no common sense, no, you know, no recollection of what is actually going on, what needs to happen. And, you know, it it just, it's ridiculous, and that's why, you you know, that's why everyone, when you go and get your drone for the first time, definitely do some research on the drone laws. Make sure you do research on that. Make sure you do research on your trust and FAA Part 107 license. Remember, the FAA trust exam is free. I highly, highly, highly recommend taking the trust exam through Drone U. They are super knowledgeable Absolutely amazing guys. Paul and Rob are probably the most knowledgeable drone industry leaders right now that I'm aware of. I mean, I honestly, I love these guys. I love listening to them. I love watching their videos. That's that's pretty much, you know, the, the company to go to, especially for learning. Take your trust exam. Go ahead and get that. You could probably take the trust exam faster than you can open the drone box and charge batteries. So, (laughs) you know, you can study for it, take the test just like that. But register your drone. Like Thomas said, you know, even even if it's not required by the FAA to register your drone because it is under that certain weight limit, go ahead and register the drone. Get all your paperwork printed out. Get your cards, all that good stuff, and... Work on safe practice. Work on a flight, a pre-flight checklist, a post-flight checklist, all these things. You know, and just remember, these are aircraft. You know, the, you are flying a remote aircraft. Pretty, You know, it is a small unmanned air system. Like, these, you need to treat it as if it was, you know, $100,000. Yeah. I mean, regardless of the fact of if you crash it, you know, you're out 300 you know, regardless of that, it's just, you know, you need to, you need to do safe practices. You need to do your research. And that's what we're here to help you with, help you uh, become knowledgeable, help you stay out of those uh, sticky situations that, you know, you're like, man, I I wish I would have known that and, and not go out and fly your drone up and down the street in a military town (laughs) and potentially have something (laughs) bad happen. But with that being said, uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to the show. This one's definitely one of the longer ones. And um, Thomas, once again, thank you for coming on the show, man. No problem. I'm Blake with American Drone Services. I'm Anthony, not with American Drone Services. <laughs> no, nah, I asked Anthony specifically to do this show with me simply because he has no drone background. Mm-hmm. And what better way to get someone the knowledge that they need and what better way to talk about the process that you would go through of buying a drone and and learning this information than to have somebody that absolutely has no idea on the show. <laughs> I mean, you know, just from today, you've probably learned more than what most people I didn't even know, know there were exams. Well, I sort of assumed there were exams and stuff like that, but I didn't. I asked you what the acronyms meant and stuff like yeah. that. I didn't even know they what they were. So... <laughs> Yeah, with that being said, thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions, next episode we're going to be answering your questions and we're going to be going over some drone incidents and accidents. We had previously talked about the incident in Cincinnati, Ohio. We're going to dig deeper into that incident and 
kind of dissect everything that we could about what happened in that uh, situation, that scenario, talk about drone accidents and crashes and some safety features and safety checks that will help you eliminate those problems. Once again, I'm Blake with American Drone Services. Drop your questions at AmericanDS21.com. That's AmericanDS21.com. Go to contact us, put your questions in there, and make sure you put podcast questions. Once again, thank you for listening, and have a good day. Ooh.